Well, I don't know about you. We sang some of the, we sang a Christmas carol this, uh, to kick off our service. There's a number of them that I love. You probably have a number of them that you like as well. One of the ones that I, I can't get out of my head when it comes to the Christmas season is Oh Holy Night, right? Like, Oh Holy Night is just like a classic. You, everybody has it. So I, as I was thinking about um, this sermon this week, I tried to go and I tried to look up like how many different covers of Oh Holy Night have, been, have happened over the course of its like existence. And I couldn't find how many there were because it's just impossible. There's too many. Like it's just, there's so many people that have covered this song. I mean, it's one of those songs that like everybody has their top 10 list of who's done it best. You know what I'm talking about? Like if you go and you put in Oh Holy Night and how many covers there are, it's gonna, you're just gonna get a bunch of links with how many people have covered this song and who's done it best. And as you get into this song, as you look into the history, as I was kind of looking at the background of it, it has a really rich history, really rich history. So it was written in the mid-1800s by a French poet. He was, he was brought, the, the priest of his local parish came to him, asked him to write a poem for the upcoming Mass on Christmas. And so he pins this song in it, it's put to uh, lyrics, his lyrics are put to uh, actual music by someone else that's in the congregation, but the complications of his own life and his own faith actually make it condemned by the Catholic Church, so they couldn't sing it for a long time within the Catholic Church. Just bonkers if you kind of think about just the lyrics of this song and that it's not allowed to be sung within the life of the church. But beyond that, the history of the song also has this this reputation of bringing comfort to those who are hurting and suffering. So there's, the song made its way first to America by an abolitionist that brought it and he sang it over slaves as a means to bring comfort to them in their troubles and their hurting and their pain. There's a, I think this is real, a story that on Christmas Eve during World War I, the French troops stopped fighting on Christmas Eve, and they sang O Holy Night over their enemies across the battlefield. So peace that comes as they sing the song in the midst of hurting and pain and fighting. Then most recently in December of 2004, there was an American major within the Marines that as a soldier with wounds that are perilous, he's gonna die. He begins to sing the song over this dying, wounded soldier to bring him comfort and ease as he's dealing and wrestling with the pain that's going on inside of his body and the impending death that's just around the corner for him. A rich history for this song, and it's because of this rich history that we decided to title our Advent series from a line that comes from this actual renowned carol. You know this, it's a, a weary world rejoices. The song opens, as you know, as you sung it so many times, of a picture of the world, the night that Christ was born. The lyrics are gonna be up here on the screen. I thought about attempting trying to sing this like Andy did last week, but that would not go well for anybody. So um, I'm just gonna read it for you, all right? So, oh, holy night, the stars are brightly shining. It is the night of our dear, <laughs> I don't know, that's my typo. It is the night of our dear Savior's birth. Long lay the world in sin and error pining till he appeared and the soul felt its worth, a thrill of hope 
the weary world rejoices. So in the midst of the world being in a long lane in the midst of their sin, the suffering and the pain that comes along with it, Jesus enters into that same society. And as he enters, look at this, till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. A thrill of hope. This weary world, it rejoices. Look, in our current time right now, we need the comfort and hope that comes from this renowned carol from almost 200 years ago. Now, I don't know about you. I feel like I'm coming into this Christmas season just kind of weary with a limp. I mean, you have COVID. We still are wearing masks for crying out loud right now. Like, we're supposed to be past this by now. Like, this was the projected day. This is all going to be behind us, and here we are with masks on still to this day. You have things like we just talked about with the, these classic cases that were going on in our society, Oxford High School shootings. You have social and racial and political unrest that seems like at its height at just any moment, like people's anger is just sort of boiling over at any instance that it possibly could come out. Me, personally, it's just been a complicated year like lost someone that's really, that I loved dearly in my life that passed away this past year, have physical things that are going on, just craziness with trying to get a church up off the ground in the midst of a world pandemic. Like it's, it's crazy. If I had a microphone and I walked around this room, like we could just make a laundry list of all the things that we could state that, man, I just feel tired. I feel weary. I feel beaten up. And we're just kind of limping in to this Christmas season. But look, this lyric of the season of Advent, it gives a weary people like you and maybe me, like me and maybe you, a reason to rejoice. So Advent is this Latin word for coming. It's a season where we anticipate the longing, the coming of Jesus Christ. And historically, there's themes that happen within the Advent season. Themes of like longing, like Andy hit last week, and hope that we're gonna touch on this, this evening, and peace and joy and love. So over the course of the next few weeks, we just wanna take time and just sit with these themes of Advent. As we, if, if you are weary like me, that we can sit in these longings, these hopes, this love, this joy, this peace that the Advent season brings every calendar year that we're supposed to think on and sit in and reflect on with the hope that it brings us up, a people, a weary world rejoices. So like I said, we're gonna look at the theme of hope tonight. We're looking at the prediction of Jesus' birth, all right? So here's what I want us to do, all right? I'm just gonna read through the passage for us this evening. I'm gonna break it down into two parts. It kind of breaks down into two different sections. As we do that, we see this restoration of hope that happens inside of Mary, all right? It happens in two ways, and it happens because of these two things. So the first one is there's a fulfillment of God's promises that's coming with the prediction of this birth, this child that's going to be put into Mary's belly. So you have this fulfillment of God's promises, and then on the latter half of this, you see that these promises are to be fulfilled in very unlikely ways. And so I want us to sit with this. I want us to wrestle with this because it shows us a few different pieces about who God is and ways that I think bring comfort to us in this Advent season. We'll unpack this story and then we'll conclude with some simple application. All right, so here's the first few verses. We're gonna look at 26 through 33 real quick. Here's what it says. In the sixth month, the angel of Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth 
to a virgin engaged to a man named Joseph of the house of David. Virgin, the virgin's name was Mary, and the angel came to her and said, Greetings, favored woman. The Lord is with you. But she was deeply troubled by this statement, wondering what kind of greeting this could be. Then the angel told her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Now listen, you will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. All right, so here's what's going on. The sixth month that Luke records here is the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy. Last week, we looked at this prophecy, this, this foretelling of to Zechariah that they are going to have a baby, a little baby boy, late in age. And so this prediction that Gabriel has already come and given is coming to fruition. It's the sixth month of that pregnancy. And now Gabriel's showing up again, and he's going to make another birth prediction, but he's doing it now to Elizabeth's cousin, Mary. Now imagine being Mary in this moment, all right? So she's just a teenager. She's no more than 15 years old. She's engaged, looking to be married. And she's from a no-noun tame no, now, no named town called Nazareth. And then I'm, an angel appears to you. Now, Luke records that she's deeply troubled. This is just a way of saying like she's deeply frightened. Like, duh, right? You have this angel at the age of 15 that shows up before you and it's like, what is happening? It also says that she's wandering. This is like this accounting term that she's just calculating in her head. Like, is this for real? Like, is this angel really in front of me? It, like, do I need to like pinch myself? Is this, is this like actual reality of what's taking place? Like, what in the world is happening? This is like what's going on inside Mary's brain, according to Luke. And Gabriel sees Mary's anxiety. It says, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And then Gabriel begins the prediction of Jesus' birth. Now, this is where I think the installation of hope begins to start happening, this inkling of hope that's going and building up inside of Mary. Because Gabriel is not only predicting the birth of Jesus, He's also predicting the fulfillment of promises made by God from long ago. There's two specifically that we see here, all right? So the first one is the virgin birth, and the second one is the Davidic promise. So the virgin birth is this promise that the Messiah would be born of a virgin. We see this in Isaiah. It's going to be up on the screen here in a second. And then you also have the Davidic promise. So David is wanting to build a house for God, and as he's wanting to take the steps towards building this house for God. He says, no, 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 you can't do it. There's too much blood on your hands. And so what I, I'm going to ask you to do is to stop, and your son's going to do this. But here's the promise that I'm going to give you. I'm going to give you a son. I'm going to give you a king that his kingdom will never end. And what is happening here is there's the fulfillment of both of these predictions, these promises from long ago. We see this in verses 31 through 33. So here's what I've done, all right? I'm going to have the verse 31 on the bottom, and you can see the prediction, the promise, or the prophecy at the top. So I'm not going to read the top one. You can kind of just compare and contrast, all right? So verse 31 says this. Now listen, you will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus, he will be great and will be called the son of the most high. 
and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. Literally, like hundreds of thousands of years ago, he's like, this is a fulfillment that's coming to fruition. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. Now, as you're looking at these two different promises that are going to be fulfilled according to what Gabriel is saying, you can make a case that Mary wasn't aware of the first one, all right? Because later she questions in verse 34, how will this be since I'm a virgin, right? Like, so there's a case to be made that maybe she doesn't really understand like what's going on with this idea in Isaiah. There's a possibility that she's just overwhelmed by the whole situation that like her mind just kind of blanks. But the second one, the second fulfillment that Gabriel's bringing and saying that's going to happen through this birth of this child in her, it would not have been a surprise to Mary, all right? I mean, you're talking about King David. This is the most recognizable king in Israel's history. This is the, the King David that we talk about in sports with David and Goliath. Like our society, many people have never touched the Bible. They know who David is. Mary absolutely knows who David is. This is the David that her people sang songs about where Saul killed his thousands and David kills his tens of thousands. This is the David of David and Bathsheba who committed this murderous act to his close friend and then sleeps with his wife. Most importantly, this is the David that God has promised that there will be a king that will come from his bloodline. Mary would have heard this prediction by Gabriel and while still having some doubts, there would have been this inkling of hope that's building up inside of Mary. Like, imagine being in her footsteps, right? Like, last week we talked about God hadn't spoken to his people in 400 years. He shows up, speaks to Zechariah, and now this angel that's sent from God is standing before her and telling her these predictions, these promises that are going to be fulfilled by this baby that's going to take place in her tummy. Like she's, she's got to be saying, is this really happening? Like this hope, this Messiah that we've been looking for for so long, it's finally coming to be. Like Gabriel's standing here in front of me and he's telling me all these things that we've been looking forward to for hundreds of thousands of years. Like it's actually happening. This is the time. And it, it's, I get to be a part of it. Like this is the stuff that has to be going on inside of Mary's head, a spring of hope that begins to well up inside of Mary. And look, it should also ring a sense of hope up inside of us too. It shouldn't just be Mary that, yeah, she has the angel before her and there's these promises, these big fulfillments and these things that are saying, God, I'm gonna, God's saying, I'm gonna use you, Mary, to bring all these things about. Mind-blowing, absolutely. But look, it should also stir up hope inside of us because it's an assurance of God's faithfulness to you and me, even here today. It's a reminder to us that God keeps his promises Look, specifically in a couple of ways, here's how I think this should really hit us this evening. The first one is that it reveals that God is mindful of us. He's mindful of us. Look, the original promise of a savior was made by God because he knew the consequences of sin and what it would happen to us personally and to our world holistically. It would mean pain and suffering and brokenness because there was this fracture in our relationship with God and the sin that entered into our life also entered into this world and it's gonna cause havoc. It's gonna cause chaos. 
It's going to cause brokenness. He knows exactly what the consequences of the sin that happened in the garden were to be. And so God gives us this big promise. There's going to be a Savior that comes and makes your relationship right with me, that puts this world back together again. There's this Savior that's going to come into this world, and he's going to do it all. And that God keeps his promise of this reminds us that he sees everything. The hurt and the pain and brokenness that you feel in your life and sometimes maybe even doubt or cause you to think, has God just like abandoned me? Has he just like stepped back? Did he speak this world into existence and then he just like hands off? The response to this because of what is happening through Mary is no. No, he's mindful of you. He... He's fulfilling his promises. He sees the needs that are in your life and he steps in. He's mindful of you. All the sin and the suffering that you've done and that has been done to you, God's saying, I'm gonna take care of all of it. God's not blind to what has you weary here tonight, but instead he's mindful of you. This is the first thing that should speak well up some hope inside of you. Secondly, it also reveals that he's committed to you. He's committed to you. Look, God doesn't send Gabriel in to clean up the mess. Gabriel's just a messenger. What what the message really is, he says Jesus, he, Jesus, is who Luke is speaking of, Gabriel specifically, will be great and will be called the son of the most high. Look, the message that's happening here is that God isn't sending someone in, somebody else that's to take care of the mess. Instead, he's taking it up upon himself personally. He's saying, no, I'm entering into the mess. I'm putting on human flesh. I'm the one that's gonna come in and deal with your sin problem. I'm the one that's gonna come and make sin and death and hurt and pain and suffering. I'm the one that's gonna do away with all of it. Gabriel's just the messenger here. And what we see is that God is declaring, I'm committed to you. I'm coming into the mess. I'm not just sending somebody else into the mess to deal with the mess. I'm gonna be the one that enters into your mess. I'm gonna be the one that deals with all the hurt and pain that's going on in your world. That's how committed God is to us. And it should well up a sense of hope inside of you. This is something that would have been unfathomable at this point in time. The idea that God would come down to earth and enter into humanity was something that nobody would have foreseen. I mean, at this point in time, gods don't stoop down to humanity. Instead, humanity is supposed to ascend to the gods. But the one true living God is so committed to us that he says, I'm coming to you. I'm the one that's stepping in. This is the length to which I love you. This is the link to which I'm willing to come and rescue you and to bring you back to myself. This this is what God is saying through this story to Mary. Not just to Mary, but you and me. That's why we come back to this story every single year. Because we need a reminder that God fulfills his promises. That he entered into our mess. That he's mindful of us. That he's committed to us. He's not going anywhere. So see, when it seems like death and disease and injustice are winning, remember that God keeps his promises. Look, Christian, 
Jesus will come again. It's going to happen. He's mindful of you. He's committed to you. And when he comes, this next time he's bringing heaven with him. Heaven down to earth. No more pain. No more tears. No more sadness. Look, God is faithful. He keeps his promises. And this pronouncement, as it stirs up, or at least at the be- it's the inklings, the beginnings of hope that are rising up in Mary, we should feel it too. Because he's mindful of you, and he's committed to you. But the story doesn't stop there. Mary's hopeful, but she's also skeptical. We see this in verse 34. She says, how will this be? Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin. The angel replied to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. And consider your relative Elizabeth. Even she has conceived a son in her old age and this is the sixth month for her who was childless. Look, for nothing will be impossible with God. So, all right, imagine again that you're Mary. You still have Gabriel in front of you. You're hearing these big promises that are being brought before you. We would do the exact same thing that she does here. Like, what? Like, how in the world is God going to, how, how is this going to happen? I, I'm only engaged. Like, Gabriel, how in the world is what you're saying going to come to fruition? Like, how, how is this going to be? How is this going to happen? Well, God is fulfilling his promise in unlikely ways because he defies life as we know it, right? Like, Mary's basically saying, like, this has never been done before. Like, how in the world is this going to take place? Like, I know the science here. Like, this doesn't make any sense. But Gabriel's response could basically be summed up in this. The Holy Spirit's going to happen. The Holy Spirit's going to happen. He'll come upon you and he'll overshadow you. Now, some people have tried to get like a little weird with the language that's happening here. Like, look, to do so is a sign of our own depravity and not God's, all right? So Gabriel is simply saying that God will perform a miracle here. When he says the Holy Spirit will come upon you, he's saying the power of God will make this happen. He's gonna be the one that puts a baby in your belly. And then he, when he says the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit will overshadow you, he's saying this power will supersede your humanity. He's like, I get it. I know the science here. I know how this works. I know how relationships work. I know how marriage works. I know, I know the whole process. He's saying, but the Holy Spirit is going to come upon you, and he's gonna, his power is going to rest upon you. He's, there's going to be a miracle that happens in your body, and God's going to overcome all of the science, all of the things. He's going to overcome your humanity, and he's going to fulfill this promise. He's going to make it happen. Gabriel's proof that God can do this is that Mary's cousin Elizabeth is the one that's still pregnant. He says, even she has conceived a son in her old age. Like, well beyond the years of having children, she is the one. She has a baby in her belly. She's in her sixth month. It's happening to her. You can go look for evidence. This is gonna happen. Look, if God can make your cousin Elizabeth pregnant in her old age, he can surely do this for you too. And look, she goes to the very next passage. The very next thing that you look is the story where 
Mary goes to visit Elizabeth, and what happens is as she goes to visit Elizabeth, the baby jumps inside of Elizabeth's tummy, and as the baby jumps, she's filled with the Holy Spirit, and she says that she's the most favored of all women that's ever come across the face of the earth. She says, who am I that the mother of my Savior would come and be in my presence? Look, all this is happening because for nothing will be impossible with God. Now, let's put ourselves in Mary's shoes again, all right? All of this is just mind-blowing. It should be mind-blowing to us. We have grown accustomed to all of this story year after year, but look, this should be mind-blowing to us, the way that God is working in human history, that this actually happened. Now, put yourself in Mary's shoes, all right? Maybe at this point in the story, the shock of an angel before you is starting to wear off and she's starting to come to her senses like she can feel her fingers and her toes again a little bit maybe. Gabriel has given this information that she really wants to believe is going to happen, that the coming of the Messiah is here. Like this long foretold promise of God is actually coming to fruition. Like you have to imagine that like she really wants to believe that everything that Gabriel is telling her is true. He's answered the biggest question that she has to this whole plan of how a baby's gonna be put in her belly. And Gabriel gives her the very tangible evidence by how this is all gonna happen by going and visiting her own cousin. And it's natural, look, that I think we run to probably what Mary's feeling in all of these things, but I want you to wrestle with me of what she's thinking here. Wrestle with like the thoughts that are probably going through her head. Like here's what's been told to her, that God, his favor rests on her. Like you have to imagine that she's this 15-year-old at most girl who is from an impoverished family. Like nobody knows her name. Outside of this story and what's happening in her life, nobody would have known Mary. And this Gabriel, this angel Gabriel shows up before her and makes this declaration that God's favor rests on her. The only other time this word favor is used is talking about unmerited grace in Ephesians. And so Mary is taken aback by this. She has to be thinking like, God's present with me? With little me? With nobody, me, God's favor rests with me. Like, not only that, but then the power of God, I get to see the power of God put on display in my life. I mean, the Holy Spirit will come upon me. God's hand will miraculously touch me and put a baby in my belly. The power of the Most High will overshadow me. Even my humanity won't get in his way of fulfilling his promises. And look, nothing is impossible with God. Like, I get to see all of this in my life. I get to be a part of the Messiah coming into the world. Like, God's fulfilling his promises without any effort on my part. He's doing all of this. This has to have her heart exploding with hope. And this too should churn hope within us too. Look, not only is our God faithful to keep his promises, but he's also powerful enough to accomplish them. We see this in the life of Mary. And not only is our God committed to us, but he's forever present with us. Look, 
We know this because we know the life that baby boy would live, right? So the power of God was on full display in Jesus' life and ministry. If you go back and you look across the span of Jesus' life throughout all the gospels, what happens? The crowds flock to him because they need healing. And he does it. He speaks demons that have possessed children and adults and he frees them from the bondage. Sickness and pain, literally people who have died, he raises from the dead. The crowds are coming to him in flocks because no one has the power that Jesus has that can bring healing upon their life. You see him perform signs and wonders. The the turning of water into wine, the feeding of thousands of people. Like people are amazed by the things that Jesus does. He walks on water. You the earth listened to his voice. When he's asleep in a boat and his disciples are freaking out, what are we going to do? We're all going to die. Jesus is woken up and he speaks to the storm. He speaks to the sea. And what happens? They obey his voice. Who has power like this? He discerned the very heart of men. He knew people's thoughts. He knew what they were thinking. And he spoke into their life. And no one could take his life from him. Except willingly, he gave up his life for you and me. Look, his grave lies empty, and the only thing that lies in its place is Satan, sin, and death. Even the grave and death couldn't contain him. That's how powerful our Jesus is. Nothing was impossible for our Jesus. And look, his presence is forever with us as a result of this power that we saw on full display throughout his life and ministry. Before he ascended up to go to be with the Father and sit at his right hand, what was the last promise that he told us? I will never leave you, neither will I ever forsake you. And then he fulfilled this promise by sending us the Holy Spirit who has come to live inside of us. At Pentecost, it falls on his people. From there on out, we see the Holy Spirit come upon his people when they place faith in Jesus. Then we see that this is the seal of our salvation, that there's nothing that can rip us out of God's hands because he's, he's eternally present with us through his Holy Spirit. He's a down payment of our inheritance, that we get a resurrected body, a body that gets to be with God physically present for all eternity. This is what happens through the story of Mary. God is forever present with us and God's power is on full display in our life. So listen, you have reason to hope in this Advent season. You have reason to hope because of who your Jesus is, because of who your God is, because of what he did in this life, because he was born of a virgin, because he, he lived perfectly, Because he did and exemplified God's power on full display, yet was without sin. He went to the cross, and the the grave that he was buried in couldn't keep him. And now we get to celebrate this Advent season, not out of the story of a virgin birth, but because of the hope that comes with the resurrection. That's what we get to celebrate. And this story is a reminder to us and it's to burst hope inside of us in this Advent season as we look forward to the coming of Jesus again. That's what's our future, Christian. That's why this story matters. That's why we come back to it every year. We need the hope that comes from this story. And look, this story 
Even though it defies all the odds, God keeps his promises, that God keeps his promises in unlikely ways. There's still something that happens at the very end of this that it should lead us to as well. And we see it in verse 38. And this is our application, right? So we're, we're almost done. So see, I'm the Lord's servant, said Mary. May it happen to me as you have said. And then the angel left her. Mary's response here is trust. This whole story is a story of hope that leads to faith. God's promises coming true. They're coming true in unlikely ways. And Mary, even though all of her questions probably aren't answered here, what's her response? I'm the Lord's servant. May it happen to me as you have said. It's faith and it's trust. Look, for those of us that are sitting in these chairs tonight, for me standing here before you, we have trouble following in Mary's footsteps here. We do. This is a struggle. This is a struggle for us to believe and trust and not have all of our answer, our questions answered. Like there's a lot of things that are taking place in our life right now that we, it causes doubt and skepticism about the very promises that God has given us in this life. It, it's true. Like if you're, if you're really honest with yourself, you're like, man, I just don't know. Like I wanna believe that God would do some of these things for me, but it seems like God does that stuff for other people and not me. You know what I'm talking about? Like that internal voice that's going on inside of you. There's this wrestle that we experience inwardly when it comes to trusting God. We want to trust him, but our life experience makes us fearful of the hurt and disappointment that may come if we really open our hearts to it. You know what I'm talking about? It's like, you know those movies, like in the movies and the TVs, like when the alarms go off, when someone's breaking in and like the huge doors go up, the security doors go up. That, like that's what goes on inside of us when it comes to like stepping in to trust God. It's like, ah, I don't know. I don't know if I'm willing to open myself up to that. I, I just don't want that hurt. I can't deal with that disappointment. The story is telling us to open ourselves up, though. I say, no, like, give yourself over to hope. Like, make yourself vulnerable to this God. He's faithful. He's mindful of you. He's committed to you. He does things in the most unlikely ways. His presence and his power are on full display in your life. Stop the worrying, stop the doubting, like open yourself up. There's Elizabeth Elliot. She has this story that I think puts this wrestle so well, all right? I'm gonna do this and then we'll close, all right? She says this, there's an old story of a king who went to this village, the village streets to uh, greet his subjects. A beggar sitting by the roadside eagerly held up his alms bowl, sure that the king would give handsomely. Instead, the king asked the beggar to give him something. Taken aback, the beggar fished three grains of rice from his bowl and dropped them into the king's outstretched hand. When at the end of the day the beggar poured out what he had received, he found to his astonishment three grains of pure gold in the bottom of his bowl. And look, Oh, that I had given him my all. Christian, look. 
Jesus has come once. God fulfilled his promises. And he's coming again. Look, God is both faithful and powerful to fulfill his promises. And though you may be weary and skeptical like Mary is in this passage, give give Christ your grains of trust in exchange for the riches of heaven that he will bring with him when he comes again. You have a God that is faithful. You can be vulnerable to him. And look, he's powerful enough to bring about these promises. You can trust him. So look, Will you? Will you trust him? Will you, will you follow his commands? Will you give yourself over to hope? Will you live according to the call that he's placed on your life? Look, will you not give up? Will you cling to Jesus? Your hope rests in no one else. And this Advent season serves as a reminder that he's coming again. Give yourself over to that hope. Let's pray.